And as they dismiss, I'd like to call out Pastor JB up to the front. Let the church say amen. amen. It is good to see you all this morning. I pray that uh, you have had a decent week, if not a good week, leading up until worship. But regardless, if you had a good or a bad or a decent week, may the Lord meet us now. Amen? Amen. amen. Let me begin by uh, saying initially uh, I had planned for four sermons as it relates to the portions of scripture that have driven my philosophy of ministry over the years, uh, but have chosen to add a fifth sermon. And then we will close out uh, this series with this morning's sermon, and then next week we will move on uh, to a whole another series specifically from 1 John. So you'll hear a little bit more about that, of course, next week, but today we'll close out uh, this portion uh, today. And that being said, the message is entitled, How Our Salvation Affects Creation. How Our Salvation Affects Creation. Now, prior to reading this passage of scripture, uh, this is a text of scripture that served me personally very well, and I believe it served the community that I had served prior to this one very well. Uh, in coming here, I kind of gave many of you all uh, the story behind me going to New Orleans and planting a church. And of course, if you're familiar with uh, the city of New Orleans on some level, you'll at least remember that there was a major flood that took out uh, major portions of the city. And when we moved there, we had to be mindful of the fact that God was not only calling us to plant a church and uh, to introduce uh, Jesus to folks who may not have known him, but we had a responsibility to rebuild a community in which we saw as a responsibility of ours and of our salvation. So this text itself was very, very important for me, and I think I believe it has something to say to us even in our context here. So we'll think a little bit about that here shortly. But if you can, I'll invite you to rise. If you are able, of course, the scripture this morning comes from Romans chapter 8. We'll look at verses 18 through 25. If you're visiting, I'll read this portion of scripture in your hearing. And then I will say a short prayer, after which you can take your seat. Romans 8, beginning at verse number 18, the Apostle Paul says this to the Christians in Rome. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We'll conclude there. Father, we thank you as we come to this portion of scripture. And as we look at it, Lord, we ask that your spirit would help us to feed upon that which you are attempting to feed us from. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to look into your word. May your blessings be upon us as we spend some time in it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The approach for this morning that I would like for us to take as it relates to this specific passage, on one hand, we'll consider the idea of suffering. On the opposite end is the idea of glory. And in between is the concept of hope. Suffering again, on one end, glory on the other, and in between is the idea of hope. Now, what, is, what, what leads the Apostle Paul to speak upon such a subject as this? Obviously, he is proclaiming uh, his doctrine to the audience in which he is hoping to visit, but the context goes back even further than the Apostle Paul. If you remember, and all you have to do is open up your Bibles to Genesis, you will recall that God created all things. He made man, he made woman, he made the earth, he made the animals, he made the sun, the moon, the stars. All of these things were the work of God Almighty. And you will remember at the beginning of Genesis where the scriptures says that God completed his work and everything was very good. God made no mistakes. Creation was perfect. There was no missing pieces. There were no stains. There was nothing. It says that Creation was made by God, and it was very good. Now, we come quickly to the fact that something went wrong. And obviously, if you're familiar with Genesis, you will know that our first parents uh, disobeyed God. 
God gave them creation. He gave them responsibilities. He blessed them. Everything was perfect. Everything was great. And in testing them, they failed mightily by disobeying. And as a result of their disobedience, not only were they affected, but all of creation was affected. Let me say that again. It wasn't just Adam that was affected. It wasn't just Eve. It wasn't just the serpent. All of creation, as a matter of fact, it says in Genesis 3 that the ground is cursed because of Adam. Now, from there, we, it's, it's easy for us to think about the fact that God is in the process of redeeming mankind. God is calling folks unto himself in his son. But the scriptures teach that God is not only redeeming mankind, but God is also going to redeem creation. As a matter of fact, Isaiah speaks of this in, in chapter 65 of a new heaven and a new earth. Our New Testament reading in uh, Re Revelations 21, you hear the idea of a new heavens and a new earth. And even right here, the Apostle Paul is speaking about a, 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 a salvation that is not just for man or woman, but also for creation itself. And so somewhat in passing, I want us to be mindful of the fact that yes, God is redeeming men and women. And praise the Lord for that, amen? But the Bible's concept of salvation extends beyond the rational creatures, i.e. man and woman. But God is going to make all things new. And that's good news, amen? That is good news. So the Apostle Paul is, is, is uh, headed in that direction of all things being made new. But he starts off, for example, in verse number 18. He says, uh, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, the sufferings of this present time. Now, what type of sufferings is the Apostle Paul talking about? Of course, there could be some idea of persecution. Uh, we know Paul was often persecuted. Many of the believers were persecuted. But Paul's suffering uh, is much more than us being persecuted by others for our faith. The suffering in this particular context is, uh, again, it includes persecution, but it has more or less to do with the idea of us suffering as a result of the fall. Some of us are physically sick. Some of us are mentally struggling. Some of us are living in environments where uh, things are just not very, very healthy. Some of us are tired. There are a variety of ways in which we can describe our suffering. But the reality is we all experience suffering. And 
once you come to know Christ, that doesn't eliminate the fact that you will experience trials and tribulations and suffering. Be careful of any teaching that promotes such. For Paul suffered. Peter suffered. Jesus suffered. Ruth suffered. And we would all consider these as people of God. And so Paul is acknowledging the fact that folks are suffering. But he compares that suffering over against the glory that is to come. Now, we'll play with that shortly, but let's not run too quickly past this idea or this concept of suffering. Again, we all will suffer. But Paul takes it a step further. For example, in verse number 19, he says, For the creation, the creation waits with the eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. On some level, you know, as I'm reading and praying and thinking through this text, you almost feel sorry for creation. What did creation do to, to experience what it is that it's going through? Now, of course, how creation is groaning, what is it suffering? There are a variety of opinions. Some will say the fact that tornadoes, earthquakes, hurricanes, wildfires, uh, and, and I believe there is, of course, a place for that, uh, even from uh, this particular text. But uh, the question becomes, what did creation itself do? And the most immediate answer is nothing. You know, I was reading this text, and, uh, and I've told this story before to others who, who, who may know me uh, within the, the sermon context. But I recall a time when uh, I was at my grandmother's home, and, and this was in Alabama, and, and, you know, my grandmother, tons of grandchildren around, and so every time or any time we went uh, to Alabama for the summer, uh, we would be surrounded with a whole bunch of cousins, older cousins, younger cousins. I mean, it was just a bunch of us. But I remember one incident where uh, two older cousins were driving a few of us younger cousins somewhere. I don't recall exactly where, but I know, I remember we stopped by the store, and the two older cousins went into the store to do whatever it is they had to do, and there were four of us younger ones still in the car. And of the four, two got into a fight. I wasn't one of them, but... I, <laughs> I wasn't holy then, but I wasn't fighting then either. But these two cousins were fighting and fighting and all of that. And the older cousins, mind you, not parents, but older cousins, they get back in the car and they go off on everybody. And they say, one of the cousins in particular say, you know what? Soon as we get back home, I'm whooping every one of you. 
And mind, and, and she did, by the way. <laughs> and mind you, I'm, I wasn't fighting. I didn't instigate. I didn't do anything. But I suffered the consequences of my other cousins. And on some level, that, that, that is what happened to creation. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And their disobedience didn't just affect them, it affected everything else. And as a side note, this is why we also need to be mindful of our witnesses. We need to be mindful as believers, as a church, that our actions, for good or for bad, not only affect us, but affects others around us. That's what happens with creation itself. Now, what's interesting is the text suggests that it was God who subjected the creation to this futility. Again, the creation, I want you to see this picture. It's, it's the, the, the word groaning. It, imagine, imagine being in uh, some sort of pain with the expectation of healing around the corner. So creation, it's, 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 it's there, and it knows that something is better, uh, is, is coming, but it, it, it's, it's hard waiting for it. And, and uh, Paul says that, that when God subjected creation to futility and in the midst of his groaning, he did so in hope. In other words, God didn't uh, subject creation without a plan to redeem the creation. It's kind of like God having a purpose in disciplining us. God doesn't discipline us just for the sake of getting us. There's redemption. There's purpose. There's sanctification in that whole disciplining process. Well, when creation was subjected, there was hope that was tied to such. Now, that being said, I hope I've laid the stage on some level at least that all of creation has been affected by the fall. And it's easy, and I need not spend too much time uh, reflecting on how we have been affected by the fall. I've alluded to it somewhat earlier. We're in pain. Relationships are broken. Crime. All various sorts of sin. Sickness. All of these things. We can go on and on and on and on about how we have been affected. But what's interesting, and for the purposes of this particular text, one thing that Paul says is that creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is waiting. Now, this is eschatological in nature. And for, for those who may, what in the world does that word mean? This has... Uh, a lot to do with what is yet to come. In other words, once Christ 
decides to come back and God decides to make things fully new, then creation itself will experience what God had planned for it fully. That is at the later times. Creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, having said that, this reminds me that while that is yet to come, there is a sense in which creation is affected even now. I think of someone in particular, I need not make mention uh, of their name, but the way I, I've known them to utilize this text and other texts, you know, in their thinking, uh, you know, is, you know, I am called, uh, they are called to, to love their neighbor, to love whoever comes into their existence or into their sphere. But they also say, you know what, I have a responsibility to creation. And I'm thinking, well, how do you interact with creation then? How does your salvation interact with creation? And they, they, they have said, well, you know, when I go cut my grass, I'm doing it to the glory of God. The way I treat my animals, my pets, I'm doing it for the glory and the honor of God. Uh, the way I pick up trash off the streets, I do all of this. And of course, you don't have to be a believer to do that. There are folks who don't believe in Jesus who do that. But this person says that, well, the difference is the reason for which I am doing it. I have been redeemed. I have been saved. And as a result, not only am I going to treat my fellow man or fellow woman in a certain kind of way, I'm going to treat anything else that God has given to me in a way that honors him. And brothers and sisters, I, I, I appreciate that. I like that. I take that. And I want to remind us as a church, there are various ways in which uh, we can view the concept of creation. Uh, for example, I suggested in New Orleans, I thought of the community itself as creation groaning. Is our community, in what ways is Pen Lucy groaning, waiting for us? In what ways is the city of Baltimore groaning, waiting for us? Again, I know that this text in and of itself is thinking about a future in time, but there, there, there's glimmers of it being seen even in the now and present. And again, I don't want to run too quickly, but how does creation, how is creation waiting for faith? And just to repeat, how is Pen Lucy? What are the groanings of the neighborhood that this church is in? What are the groanings of the neighborhood? Do we recognize the groanings? And how is it that Pen Lucy is waiting for faith? How is it that Baltimore is groaning and waiting for faith? And this, these are questions that, that we all should be pondering in some form or fashion. Again, we should be serving our fellow brothers and sisters. We should be serving one another. But our salvation is not just about us. Our salvation should affect everything and everyone 
that we come in contact with. Now, that being said, we shouldn't overpromise anything that we have no ultimate control over. What do I mean by that? Going back up to verse number 18, Paul contrasts the suffering with the glory that is to come. And let me say, I 100% believe, I 100% accept what Paul is communicating here, that there is something far better, far greater, that is ahead of us, and that this thing that is ahead of us is far greater than the pain that we may experience now. Now, practically, I, I, you know, when you meet with someone, we don't just write off their groanings or their pain or their suffering by simply saying, remember the glory that is to come. You communicate that but you do what you can while it's in your power and your resources to serve your brother and sister and to alleviate whatever pain and so on and so forth. But there are cases, there will be cases, where there's absolutely nothing we can do. And the only thing that we can do is hope and rest upon the word of God. There are times where, uh, for example, Folks are, are, are suffering, and there's nothing the doctors can do. There's nothing mama can do. There's nothing a friend or a spouse or a parent or whoever can do. And all we can do is cry out in hope that the Lord will remember us and that the Lord will keep us. This is a hope that many of us need. This is the hope that our community will need. This is the hope that the city will need. And this is one of the things that I am encouraged by. And let me say this in a weird kind of way. Be careful of what you're hoping for or who you're hoping in. What I mean by that is oftentimes we find ourselves disappointed because we're hoping in something that was never promised or guaranteed. And we often let people down because we give them a false hope in something that was never promised or guaranteed. I can't promise someone uh, wealth and riches physically. I can't promise someone that uh, their health, they will get better as much as I will pray and I will hope and I will call out the name of the Lord for such, that is not something I can promise in the here and now. But there are things that I can promise and hope for because the scriptures promise and declare. For one, the text itself says that the sufferings that we now experience will not compare to the glory that is to come. Taking another angle, I, I can guarantee you that uh, forgiveness will be yours in Christ if you embrace it. I can guarantee you based upon the scripture that the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. 
I can guarantee you, uh, based upon the word, that you are loved by God, even though others may not love you. These are the things that the scripture guarantees us. And if we hope in the things that the scripture guarantees us, we are told in scriptures that our hope will not disappoint us. This is the hope that we should be promoting. Now, as I close, let me remind you, I am one, I, we all should be grateful for what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Amen? I don't, I've, I, I've heard people say this, and I can say it theoretically, but honestly, I don't know if I'm fully there, so if I'm not as holy as you, forgive me. But some of you all have heard, if God does not do anything else for us, he's done enough. Some of you have heard that, I, I would think. And yes, <laughs> but Lord, I need you to do a couple of other things as well. <laughs> but but, but the, 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 the seriousness of it is, I, we are great. I'm so grateful for the fact that God in Christ has forgiven my sins. He has given me new life. He's given me a reason to live in the midst of chaos, in the midst of craziness, in the midst of my own suffering. And this is because of the salvation that is mine. In Christ, because of the work of Christ. But I also am challenged that my salvation, what God has done for me, is not only for me. My salvation, again, is for my neighbor. My salvation is also for my community. Your salvation is for this community and whatever other community you may be in. Your salvation is for the sake of this city or whatever city you may be in. And I want to challenge you all as I will challenge myself as the Lord will make known his will and his ways about our future direction. How is it that my redemption in Christ, how is it that it will serve the groanings of the creation surrounding us? Again, I know that's a big picture concept, and we need more time perhaps to break it down and what that practically looks like, but I want you to at least leave here asking yourselves, Lord, how is it that my salvation affects everything else that I am surrounded by, whether that be a person, whether that be the yard, whether that be the pet, whatever it may be, how is it that my salvation affects whatever is groaning around me? Amen? Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you love us you love us and you 
not only love us, but you have set in motion uh, the fact that glory is ours. You promised in your word that the glory that is yet to come will far outweigh whatever it is that we're enduring now. And we thank you for the fact that that awaits us. We're also grateful and encouraged to know, Lord, that we don't have to even wait till that time to experience portions of this glory even now. And Father, as we experience your blessings, your love, uh, Father, may uh, all of this have a bearing not only upon us, but how we interact with creation itself. We thank you, Lord, that there will one day be a new heaven and a new earth. And Father, we thank you that you give us the opportunity to, to play a part in the revealing of that even now. Help us, Lord, to hope in you. Hope us to wait with patience. But as we wait, Lord, may we also do what it is you've called us to do in serving those you've called us to serve. Thank you for our great Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> um, pardon me a quick sec. This is first time <laughs> communion, but uh, I am excited. Is the closing song before or after? It's after? Okay. Have mercy. Jesus has mercy, so... <laughs> So you have mercy. Amen. I am I am I am very excited for communion this morning. Not only because it's my first opportunity to serve communion here with you all, but communion assures me that what was just said to us in the word is actually the case. What do I mean by that? There are all of these wonderful promises in Scripture. There's all of these things that we can hope for. What makes these things worth hoping for? What makes these things true? It's the fact that God has sent forth the Son to show us the way, to communicate to us the way, but to also pave the way via his death, his burial, and his resurrection. In other words, when I come to this table, I am reminded that the promises of God are yes and amen. I am reminded that the promises of God cannot be broken or revoked. I am promised that every, I am reminded that everything that God says in his word through his son is actually the case. And I need not second guess. I need not worry. I need not be anxious, even though we are from time to time. The supper reminds me that everything is taken care of. 
and everything is all good. And so as we come to this table this morning, I want you to reflect upon what it is that was done for you and I. Let's not be too quick to run to glory. Let's first run to the cross. Let's not run too quickly to the new heavens and the new earth. Let's first remember why there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And that's because of the sacrifice of our great Savior. If you happen to be visiting, this is not a Presbyterian table. This is not a Baptist table, a Methodist table. This is a table for all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a part of the invisible church, i.e. those, again, who have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is for you. I hope that you are a part of a church. I would encourage you to be a part of the visible church, the local church. But all that to say, this is for those who love the Lord Jesus, who have been loved by the Lord Jesus, who have experienced the benefits of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. For those who choose not to embrace Christ, at least yet, when we say that this table is not for you, it's not an attempt to be mean or even exclusionary. We're simply trying to follow the word as we best understand it. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul reminds the people or he relates to the people that to take this in an unworthy manner is dangerous for your own soul. It's dangerous to take this meal. And so when we, when we say to those who, who do not want Jesus just yet or those who are living in a way that does not honor Christ and has no desire for reform, we're, we're not saying uh, don't take this again because we don't want to share this with you. We want to share this with you. 